Thanks, guys. Good to be with you. How you doing tonight? All right. Well, the love for Johnny is definitely mutual. Uh, he's one of my bros, man. Honestly, I love that guy. How many of you guys are dating? They don't have to be here. Just raise your hand. Maybe they didn't come. We'll talk about that later. Keep your hands up. A little higher. A little higher. Don't be. I mean, if you're dating, be proud of it. So. All right, who do we got here? How many, leave your hands up if they're here. They're with you. Well, I see you two. Yeah, it's good. Where's she at, bro? Yo, you. You looking at her? Where's she at? Raise your hand too. Oh, awesome, right on. Why are you so far apart? Dinner? <laughs> A little dinner spat. All right. How many guys would say looks matter? Attraction, they gotta be hot. <laughs> this is why we have to do these kind of retreats. You understand what just happened, right? If you had to pick five qualities right now off the cuff, in order, just calm down. Don't yell at me, all of you at the same time. But if you had to pick just five, why don't we start with the top? Give me number one. No, and don't fake it. Like, whatever comes to mind, go. Honest? Ooh, my man, character, okay. She's got to care. You guys are all sensitive dudes. <laughs> give, me a, give me a sister. Loves the Lord, all right. Give me the Christian answers. Anybody up there? Rich, my man. <laughs> now we're being honest. My man right there. Mentally healthy, that's good, that's important. Ooh, you go deep. It's true, he's right, sister. Loves themselves. Loves himself. Because how's he going to love you if he doesn't love himself? I like that. Wise. Wise. Ooh. Wise. That's going to come in handy. Because dudes do some weird stuff when you. <laughs> and you marry him and you're like, and it's like living with a frat boy. <laughs> Needs to be wise. A few more. My man. Maturity. She's got to be mature. That's, we don't need no mean girls. Acting like drama queens. Humor? humor. That's good. You're going to be funny. Life is tough. Life is really tough. Good communication. good communication and hard working. Look at you two. Doesn't interrupt her. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Hard work's important. And regardless of gender, let's say you end up in a more traditional marriage and, you know, Babies start happening, and she's like, man, quit sending me to work. I don't want all the kids at daycare, and she wants to be at home with the babies. It's like, I have a wife with four. I almost let it. Is this live streamed? <laughs> she's pregnant with number five. Nobody knows. So do I'm like not kidding. Her mom doesn't know. My parents don't know. Don't Instagram story that. Like, we're talking like eight weeks. Put your phone down. Mommy, honest, remember? Honest, honest, honest. And one of the things I'm grateful for is a hardworking wife. Right now, I'm able to be here because she's holding the fort down. Godly woman. People think stay-at-home moms nap all day. Must be nice. Read books, take a nap, hang out, do a dish. Hard work. And then if you got to work, I know one mom, dear friend of ours, live in Dallas. She is a nurse, and 
they've got four little ones and she wants to be around more during the day and so she goes and hits a night shift a few days a week and he's home, he's a fireman, and he's home on those nights and so she's paying off the student loans along with him and they're working hard and they're saving and that girl has got work ethic, hard work. What else? Give me a couple more. Loving. loving. Yeah, it's good when a woman's loving. Make you feel good about yourself. Positive. Positive. We got enough negativity in the world. Passionate. Passionate. All the dudes, you guys are. <laughs> look, that's guy, guy, guy. What about you? Communication. Communication is key, isn't it? They don't talk. This happens all the time in marriages. Like, how many of you guys are married? Oh. That's a clapping thing. Good. I got some marriage material for you, too. Marriage and communication are like, that's all day, all the time. Dude comes home, wife comes home. She's like, how was your day? How many of you guys are this guy? You're like, good. Good. Yep. Bill. I was paying attention. Good. Oh, and then she's like, but like, what kind of good? Well, it's good. I worked. Few, any problems? Anything happened? I mean, yeah, a few problems. What were they? Who was it? What'd they do? I mean, it was just this guy. He did this. What did he say it like? Did he say it like, was it like good or was it bad? Did it resolve? You deal with tomorrow? Like, I don't know. I'm tired. Or communication or expectations breed frustration is a phrase we use in our house. You want to write that one down, married people? Expectations breed frustration. You have expectations, nobody communicates, and then it's, well, I thought you were picking them up. I thought you were picking them up. No, I thought you said it was date night. This, well, you said it was going to be every night. You said that, ooh, communication. What else? Give me two more. Give me a, a gal, a sister, who hasn't said one yet. Servant hearted. Servant hearted. It really helps when you just want to serve each other. Where's my dudes at? One more. Trust. Trust. Amen. Amen. So these are good qualities. I've done this exercise before. I did it recently, and I remember some of the answers because they were so just what they were. <laughs> and like one of them was makes a mean sandwich. <laughs> Another one was hot. Another one was, you know, there were, there were adjectives like big or broad or... <laughs> hot, you know, this, and I was like, you kids are Christian kids, like what in the, and you got to like four, five, six, and seven, and it was like, loves God, and, and good family, and trustworthy, and nice, it was like throw-ins on character, and that really represents a lot of our society today. Now, not all of you guys, but you know in the back of your mind, what you're supposed to say and then what you actually think. You see them and you go, hmm, that looks good on the outside. And how many of you have been in broken relationships where eventually it doesn't matter what they look like on the outside, they're so cantankerous and toxic and poisonous and mentally unhealthy and they start exploiting you, using you, abusing you, torturing you, messing with you. And now it doesn't matter what they look like on the outside, you're no longer attracted to anything because of the inside. Relationships do not begin on the outside. I know that's crazy for our world today. They start on the inside. Now, should you be attracted to them? Absolutely. Do you want to wake up 
every morning, fellas, like I do, or Johnny does, and you, you wake up, and some of you do this too, I hope all of you, and you, you kind of look over, you're like, yeah, you again, all right, okay, okay, yes, let's go again, all right, because it's till death do you part, and a believer's all in, no matter what. Well, why are you going to be attracted to someone for the long haul when gravity have its way and things don't look like they used to because what's on the inside? Proverbs talks about an imperishable beauty, that which lasts beyond the outside but moves to the inside. It's so important when we're talking about love and relationships to view things that way. And let me go even further than that. It is important when we're talking about sex and biblical romance to view things that way. God's design is that your love life thrives, that it's fruitful. And I don't know what kind of background you all come from. I grew up in church, different theological circles. I've been kind of on all sorts of spectrums of things. And one of the things I didn't hear enough was preaching about sex. It's like every other thing in life that's going to be really important that could destroy you, you get taught a lot about, like driving. Nobody just hands keys to a kid unless you live on a farm, and even then, that's not normal. And then school. Anybody here have like a technical job? Like you're a, you make apps, software engineer, who can code? You can code, you're going to be rich, ladies, find him. <laughs> who, who does other things that are like, Smart. Sorry, that's not good on the list. Inside, not outside. But you get the point. So smart people, you go to school to do something. Who here does it? Trade. You're good at something you had to go to school for. What do you do? Drive. What do you do? I drive. You drive for a living. Yeah. yeah. You better drive good or you ain't going to have a job. Everything in life that you are supposed to do well, you get taught. And then we come to church. And preacher don't want to talk about sex. He's scared. He goes, oh, that's not for me. I'll leave that to the parents. But the parents don't know what they're doing because they're awkward if you've had that conversation. It's like the birds and the bees, and you know how things happen. And you're like, Dad, I get it. Like, either, either go like there, all the way there and like make sense or just leave it alone. But the weird middle is kind of just awkward. We don't do a good enough job dealing with sex and romance in the church. And then we get to a book like, who here has heard of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon? We get to that book and all the traditional like reform people, which I'm all down with reform theology, but they start doing this. This is about Christ and the church. <laughs> and it's like, your breasts are like two fawns. <laughs> Twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like the Tower of David, your navel. You're like, Jesus talks like that to the church? Well, it's poetry. Well, then just use normal poetry. Why is it sexual? Because dudes in robes get uncomfortable in their monastery while they're sitting there alone with no women around. They're like, there's got to be Jesus in the church because we're not allowed to do any of this stuff. So we avoid it. Well, why don't we just take the Bible literally? Why don't we just take God at His word? You think that He's going to teach you about all of these other things, sin, how to be saved, how to not go to hell, how to thrive in relationships, how to have a mind that is strong, how to win spiritual warfare. And then when it comes to sex and romance, he's like, hey, here's a hand grenade. You'll figure it out. 
No way. Anybody's God good enough to teach you about the practical things that are good for your soul and then also the physical things that are good for your marriage, your life, and even, God forbid I say it, yeah, I will, in the bedroom? Yes. We need good teaching about sex. So, we're going to start off with a message about biblical sex, biblical romance. Everybody got their big boy, big girl pants on? We can handle it? Love it. Good. I'm into treating adults like adults. Treat you like it's youth church. I know the background looks a little weird. Like, (laughs) 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 got some some Mario Mario Kart up here. (laughs) Come to Hume Lake. We're going to talk like men and women of God tonight who want to thrive. Those of you who are not married, this is good for you to know so that when you are dating, courting, whatever you want to call it, when you're engaged, you're not a nightmare to deal with. You are godly. They're excited. When in-laws are crying on the front rows of the wedding, it's not because they are freaked out to send their child off with you, but they are crying tears of joy because you are an answer to mama and daddy's prayer. That's the goal. If you want to turn back in your Bible to Genesis 3, I want to lay a foundation. The fall of man is in Genesis 3. The foundation of not marriage, but the broken situation we're in is found in chapter 3. The reality that marriage is hard, sex is polluted, this world is dark because of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that very clearly. When the serpent comes to Eve and says what he still says today to so many of us, did God really say that? Undermining God's command and God's decree. God's commands are good for us. God's way is good for us. He wants you to thrive. He's not a killjoy, a big cosmic one that wants to destroy all the fun for sex and marriage and romance. He's got a way that you ought to do things that he wants to bless and use for his glory and your joy. And then Satan comes along and goes, hey, he didn't really say it like that. Comes to Eve and says, surely you won't die. And today he says things perhaps through different voices in your life like, hey, you got to take it for a test drive. You know, sex is a big deal. Marriage is a long time. If you don't take it for a test drive, you won't know how the car rides. I mean, God doesn't want you to have bad sex, does He? And now we're right there. Genesis 3 all the way. That's our battle. But in Genesis 2, there is a clear definition of marriage that you need to see. In verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, bird, the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature was its name. In verse 20, he gives names to everything. And then in verse 21, he puts Adam in a deep sleep. He takes one of his ribs fashions it into the woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. 
because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother. He will cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The beauty of God's design before sin is that they were naked and unashamed. You notice what happens, remember when they sin, they start, they make fig leaves and cover themselves. Shame came into the world because of sin. The maligning of God's design because of sin. But marriage began as one man and one woman, and I need to make that clear in today's culture, bonding together in unity forever, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, as one. And the reason we tell men that you leave mom and dad and mom can't call you anymore and manipulate you, and you don't run back to mommy and daddy to do things, and you don't live in their basement, and you don't do all the little boy stuff you used to do, and, and your wife has no control, and she's going, I, you know, are we going to like date or hang out? You're like, sorry, my mom called. And she's like, your mom, like, I'm your wife. It's because of that passage right there where it says, leave and cleave. That means we cut the bonds with mommy and daddy, and now it's you and me for life. That's a very important relationship. Would you not agree? That is God's design for marriage. And then you two are one, and you're in a home together, and you build a home together, and that's what takes us into the Song of Solomon. So go with me now to the place where we will spend the most time tonight. The Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, if you will, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and boom, you'll hit the Song of Solomon, our destination for tonight. And I want you to go with me to chapter 4. And if you'll just trust that God's Word is literal, then you're going to see this passage in a very literal way and understand that God has a clear literal roadmap for sex and relationships. The world does not define sex for us. Hollywood does not define sex for us. Pornography most certainly does not define sex for us. The marriage bed, as Hebrews 13.4 puts it, is supposed to be pure, holy, undefiled. Satan has used pornography and sexual exploitation to cause men to think that that is the way a woman is supposed to be treated. So even in marriage, a lot of men head into that thing going, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't do porn anymore, but, you know, now she's my porn star. And people will say that kind of stuff. And they swing the other way away from the monks that are going, well, this is Christ in the church. You got these other guys that turn everything in the Bible into sort of a, a, a soft core thing that it's like, well, now it's all good and it's a free-for-all. Land in the middle, the beautiful balance of God's design is that his daughters be respected as a princess of the king and his sons act like godly lovers, men who reflect Christ, who is the greatest lover of all of the church. That's the model as you enter into this relationship. So understand that even that is the backdrop here. This isn't a book about sex to make fun of or turn into some worldly version and go, yeah, now that's cool and that's what God wants. So yeah, let's do it. And now that I'm married, it's a free for all. I can do whatever I want. No, that's not even how it is. 
And sometimes with the best of intentions, you'll hear pastors or youth guys or whoever say, hey, if you just wait, if you just save it till marriage, then when you get married, woo, it's do whatever you want. Well, now you end up with people who are professing Christians in marriage counseling because the guy thought, well, I'd do whatever I want. And how many understand different people have different boundaries? Some of you ladies, just talking honestly, brother to sister here, are not going to be comfortable with certain things. And some of you brothers have been exposed to pornography, or some of you sisters, and you think, well, that's what we're going to do, right? That's what we do. But it's just sanctified now because, you know, we're just doing it together like Jesus wants. And people end up feeling used and abused and literally used and abused because we're still doing things the world's way. We're just slapping a cross on top of it. So understand when we talk about this tonight, there's a reverence, there's an understanding, there's a gentleness. The obvious question that has to be answered, and I'll answer it for you, is why in the world would you look to Solomon for advice? 700 wives, 300 concubines. If you haven't figured it out yet, those are like, this just before Tinder. side hustle. Because historically, most all scholars agree that this was number one. This was God's design. This was the beautiful thing. And even the wisest man in the world had a weakness, reminding us that ultimately the only perfect one is who? Christ. And Solomon, Mr. Wise, greatest king, all the wealth in the world, had he nailed it and been perfect, we might be a little confused. Maybe that is the Messiah. No, he blew it too. Because only Christ is enough. But how many understand that wisdom is at times learning from the mistakes of others? And so Solomon's life is used by God to show us, here's the beautiful design. Look at the way it's supposed to be, and you'll learn a lesson about what happens when you break away from that design. In all of Solomon's greatness, his weakness with women, abandoning God's design and the wisdom he was given, was his downfall. And so for us, there's a warning there. If you'll look with me briefly in chapter 3, if you've always wondered, what is all this? Well, you're going to know now. In 3 verse 6, it's the wedding day. All the way to verse 11, there's this scene. He's on a chair. There's mighty men around it. Back then, it was the traveling couch of Solomon. I mean, you picture the king is on this thing. He's been brought in to her. And it says in verse 11, on the day of his wedding, on the day of his gladness of heart, we're off to the races. See, all of this that we're going to run through is meant for marriage. God's design, His order is that you enter into this beautiful moment of not only consummation, but ongoing sexual fulfillment in marriage. And so right off the bat, in chapter 4, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes, which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost her young. That's a full, beautiful mouth 
of teeth. They are white. There's none missing. Your lips are like scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of a pomegranate. Behind your veil, your neck is like the Tower of David built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. In verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no blemish in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. May you come with me from Lebanon. Journey down from the summit of Amana, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and from the mountains of leopards. The first thing you need to understand if you're taking notes is that biblical intimacy is romantic. And if you want to replace intimacy every time I make a point with sex, that's fine with me. Biblical intimacy is romantic. Notice the language in the approach. It's, it's beautiful. He's complimenting her. This is a guy sweeping her off her feet, even though he already has her in the marriage bed. Take note, single men, when you get there, you're not there yet. When you get married, you don't turn into the lazy dude going, all right, well, wedding done, married, Okay. No, no, no. The pursuit has just begun, my brothers. That's God's design. It's romantic. If you're already married, you understand this very well. When all the dating courtship processes involved you picking her up, you're spraying cologne everywhere, even underneath the car mats, and you're making everything smell good. You're chewing gum. You don't chew gum anymore. You don't even brush your teeth. And, and you're like, hey, you want to you know, and she's going, oh, how romantic. That's nice. You're like, well, if we could just kind of hurry because I, I told the boys I'd be on Xbox Live <laughs> in like 20. Got it. You weren't at Hume Lake that one weekend, were you? <laughs> no, I'd stuff. The romance doesn't end. The pursuit doesn't ever end. And he moves from her head down. Like, fellas, he moves from her head down. Not from the down to the head. This is in the Bible. A good reminder that your bride's best feature one day is not down there, but up here. Where you look at her when you lead her and love her spiritually and where you look at her first when you are loving on her physically and sexually is right here. That is honor. That is reverence. That's romance. It makes her feel like the only one that he has eyes for. There's no blemish in you. They say love is blind. True love is. You get to be in my life stage, and I ain't even that old, but we got five kids. My wife has been pushing them out for eight years. That woman is more beautiful to me than she has ever been. I can't wait to go home tomorrow evening. Love being with you, but I cannot wait to walk in the door and see my beauty. 
Why? Well, because she is the only one I have eyes for. There's no blemish in her. She would tell you, well, <laughs> babies would say otherwise, sweetheart. And, and what many women will call, you know, stretch marks or this and that, and people trying to airbrush away are, are badges of honor. Beauty marks representing the years of life together as we grow old towards glory. That is intimacy. That's love. That's romance. And look at the way that he, he speaks to her about the desires and her beauty. You know, as opposed to shallow men today, like, I'd, I'd do this to that. I'd this. Oh, yeah, I'd that. This is so much different. And, and God has wired his daughters to respond favorably to this. How many of you ladies want to, be, want to be talked to like a weekend fling? How many sisters want to be treated like a, a, a tender whatever? It doesn't go well. God's daughters are wired to respond favorably with romantic language, having their beauty praised head to toe. And notice that this is the wedding night. So the couple has waited, leading to number two, biblical intimacy waits, or biblical sex waits. In verse 12, this is where I'm getting that from, he says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride, a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. See, he's, he's even viewing her leading up to that moment as a sister. He's viewing her as one of God's daughters. She's not his yet, and he respects that. She's a garden locked up. She's not to take for a test drive. The Hebrew word here for bride is kalah, from the word meaning to complete. He is saying, he's been waiting. My bride, my one that completes me, I've been waiting for you, and the time of completion has come. Which means that you could extend this point to say that biblical intimacy or biblical respect is respectful, biblical sex rather, is respectful, not in just the way that he talks to her, but in the way that he has waited for her. So many guys today, they come on strong. They blame their hormones. The goal, fellas, is not to be in so many situations, and you sisters as well, where you're alone and the fires of romance are being lit ablaze, and then you're going to be like, well, we're fine. We just need to text our accountability partners. No, you don't need to be alone for five straight hours in a car, sitting outside, listening to the fifth Taylor Swift song on the playlist, or whatever you guys listen to now. I know I'm old. You need to call it a night sometimes. Why? Well, because it gets harder and harder to wait, harder and harder to respect the boundaries when you keep lighting the flame that was meant to go all the way. Did you know that's why you feel those feelings? Is not because they're bad and you're bad, but because you are wired for that. You are just wired for it in your bedroom with your spouse. And so God's Word makes it clear. We wait. Doing things God's way, which enhances and exhilarates our love. They have waited. Waiting is not popular in today's world. In fact, some of you who have waited, or, or honestly, many of us who 
broke God's commands. We did not do things God's way. We live in a broken world. We didn't know the Lord or we rebelled. We come back to a point where we have been restored in our relationship with God or we got saved in the first place. Anybody else? You kind of come from that broken road. The Lord brings you to the cross and now you're going, I want to live for the Lord. I don't want the world's way. I want my way. And then people start looking at you like you are nuts. Like, wait, I thought, like, I mean, you, you, you're going to write? And you're like, no, I, no, I, I have a different mind. I, I view things completely differently. I want God's way. And now you're viewed, some of you sisters, you get called a prude, which is really from the word prudent, which the Bible says a prudent wife is literally from the Lord. So you are a gift. <laughs> but the world says, oh, you prude. Some of you sisters, you start dressing more modestly. Before you knew the Lord, it was like showing it all, luring them in. And then you come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes over your heart. And, and you look in the mirror one day, you go, what in the world? I used to wear that. I'm changing everything. I need to go shopping. And you become a little more modest or a little more guarded with what you're showing the fellas. Some of you guys, all you did was look down and now you're looking every sister in the eye because the Lord has taken over. He's the Lord of your life. That is not popular. And you need to be told that we're proud of you. Good job. Way to be faithful. And some of you who have sinned, you don't need to be told, well, you blew it. Now it's over. You've been deflowered or whatever things. I don't know what people or parents say these days to make their kids not do it. Or you've been soiled or whatever. You're used goods. Look, the Lord can handle all of that. He has for so many people. His grace covers. True love waits. It's kind of an old cliche. Waits for what? Why does it wait? Because God's design is incredible, better than anything that this world could ever offer. And the gospel redeems you when you've missed the mark and the Lord washes you clean. I can't stand the purity culture that, with all due respect to people who use this, they, they use like a, a piece of tape. Anybody ever heard this one? When you keep putting that tape on things, the adhesive starts to wear away until there's nothing left. And one day you try to stick it on the one that God has brought for you and it just don't stick no more. So don't have sex. Because every time you have sex, it's like a piece of tape and it's being stuck on and ripping off and it's not. Well, then I would have never been stuck to my wife. And so many other sinners like me would not have stuck and made it. People wouldn't be on 40-year journeys right now and 10-year journeys right now and 15-year journeys right now still stuck if the tape doesn't work. We use so many man-made ideas to guilt and shame you and freak you out so you don't have sex because the tape won't work. Let me tell you, because the gospel, the tape will work just fine. When it's time, the Lord will give you the one you will become one. And you'll walk in that beauty and grace together. So understand, the reason isn't because the tape won't work anymore. The reason is because God wants more for you in your marriage. Which leads to point number three. Biblical intimacy or biblical sex is exciting. You are allowed to look forward to it. Go back to verse 5. 
Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. And then listen to what he says. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Well, in chapter 1, verse 13, before this point, this is what she says she wants him to be one day. My beloved to me is a pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breasts. Prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> he is there. And he's going to climb the mountain. He's going to the mountain of myrrh. What do you think that means? There is height involved. Whatever level of height God had given her, he's excited to climb it. And it, it's like myrrh. You think sex is supposed to be boring? Like you, the old Downton Abbey, weird old British movies, like you in a dark room and everyone has their clothes on still and it's like sex is bad. Somehow babies come out. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, they have obviously been courting and have come together and now there's babies. No, God's painting a picture here that two people come together and they enjoy biblical intimacy. So often we make sex taboo. And then young Christians get married and they, then they feel guilty for having fun. Like, are we supposed to? Well, my parents aren't here. I got, we got rings on. We did everything we're supposed to do. Are we allowed to be having this much fun? I'm not sure. I don't know. Quick, hurry before we... I don't even know what. No one's coming. It's just us. <laughs> Let me just give you like the... the not the rear view, but the front view. You look up ahead. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be there. No one's coming. And if, if, you're, if you have people coming, you didn't do something right. <laughs> you two alone, honeymoon, bridal suite, the apartment, the house, whatever. It's you two. It's supposed to be that way. You know in the Old Testament, men who were newlyweds weren't allowed to go to war for a year? Why? They were supposed to be with their bride. Even in war, they understood that a man should be with his woman. Intimate, beautiful, bonding, making babies, whatever the Lord would have for them. It's exciting. He's making a beeline for the mountain of myrrh. He's climbing up the hill of frankincense. You know, even Paul the Apostle, I can back this up from the New Testament just in case you were worried about it had people in his day that were teaching marriage was bad. They were twisting truths regarding creation and the link. There's always been religious people who will be so bothered by what I'm preaching tonight. And I just want to know why. That's my question. I would always wonder why. Well, because it makes me uncomfortable, brother. Well, do you want your daughter or your son given the keys to a race car? Because that's what sex is and told to drive without any direction or instruction. In Genesis 1, everything He created is good. That does not exclude sex. In Genesis 3, sin pollutes what He's made. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we see that Christ has redeemed us from sin. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
And in 1 Timothy 4.4, we're seeing from Paul to Timothy that Christ has given us freedom to enjoy things. We have freedom in Christ. Obviously, we obey the commands of Christ, but within those boundaries, there is freedom. There will always be a legalist who comes knocking on your door. You don't open it. Why did God make sex? Let me give you three primary reasons so you can understand how to push back against the lies of the enemy that you need to feel guilty about it. Number one, pleasure. You, you see that in verses 9 to 11. Uh, verse 9, you have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. It is pleasurable. It is good. With a single strand of your necklace, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragments of your oils than all kinds of spices? Your lips, he says, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragments of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Sex was designed for pleasure. And you see that there's intense references to kissing here. How do you, how, how do you think he has discovered that underneath her tongue is like honey and milk? He's been kissing her. This is why, and I'm, I'm going to come at you guys here a little bit in love, just a challenge, but this is why I would challenge you to save your kissing for marriage. Now I know y'all think I'm crazy. I can already see some of you looking at each other like this dude. He just lost me. He had me. It was good. Pleasure. He can be hot, but we're going to be biblical, but not that thing. Here's why. Because kissing was designed to be passionate. I'm not talking, like, it, it, the, the weird little high school thing, like, this stuff, uh-uh. That's not what God's design was. His design is that kissing be passionate. The mouth and interacting that way as two beautifully in love married people was designed to ignite passion. Now, let's say you are courting, dating, you're not married, and you are kissing real passionately and real heavily. What is happening? You ignite in the fire. You light in a bonfire. But it can't go anywhere. And everyone's like, well, this is, that's legalism. No, it's not legalism. Legalism is doing things to earn your salvation. This, I would say this would just be wisdom. Now, will people kiss before marriage and stay pure? Many people have. That's why I'm challenging you. I'm saying I challenge you because more often than not, passionate kissing leads to passionate other things, which leads to passionately going, oh, no, 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 we can't, oh, and we all go home, and everyone's fine, and we got to tell whoever, like, hey, we almost slipped up. We're just struggling. You know, it's a struggle. Well, you're struggling because you're making out for 15 minutes. Because it was meant to be a discovery, a treasure hunt under the tongue. For real. Kissing was meant to ignite passion. So God's going, I, I don't want to keep you from it. I just want to let you set the forest ablaze when it's time. And so for some of you, the Holy Spirit working in your heart, maybe that's you. You're going, hey, I'm, I'll take the... The no kissing till marriage wait approach. 
Some of you will think I'm crazy. That's fine. I pray the Lord protects you. And others of you, you did that. And you weren't really sure why, but you felt like it was a wise thing. Well, now you know where a lot of the basis for that comes from. You know, maturity, that came up. That was another one. And wisdom came up for my sister. Is not saying, how can I go this far before I cross the line? How far can I push things until, you know, it, it's still okay? That's not wisdom and maturity. Wisdom and maturity says how many liberties and how many dangers or how many slippery slopes can I steer back from in order to wait for the right time. That's maturity and wisdom. That's why you hear these people like, hey, how far is too far? I was a next-gen pastor. Like, you do open Q&A, first question. Hey, how far is too far? And it's always the dude that's trying to go too far. Or the gal. You've been flirting with the line, so you're just trying to go right to the edge of it. How far is too far? How far can I go before I cross the line? Sure, you might make it, but maturity and wise guy, they're back here going, yeah, I already know where the line is. I'm just chilling because once it's time to cross it, I'm going to go across like Usain Bolt. But I'm waiting right now. That is the gal, fellas, you keep an eye on. That is the man, sisters, who will lead you and love you. It's all fun and games when, you know those dudes that are in the hoodie and they're like hanging off her neck? Like, this is my girl. You know that guy? Does that still happen or is that just in me in high school? It does. You're naughty. You know it. <laughs> Drives me nuts as a pastor. Just want to pluck her away from him and go, you need G you get Jesus, dude. She's with us. Because he acts like he owns her, but he doesn't own her. He ain't put a ring on it. He don't pay for nothing. Her dad is covering the ice cream dates or the movie passes still, and he's acting like he's paying the mortgage. Do you know why you want this brother who's right here? Because when cancer hits, when you miscarry, when you lose a mother, a father, when you can't find a biblical church, when temptation comes to the door, when you lose the job, when your 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old goes prodigal, when your friends betray you, when people cheat you, when men and women fail you, Mr. Maturity and Mrs. Maturity have their heads on straight and they've had their heads on straight and they're leading the family straight because man is not their God, Christ is, and the train of the home is on the tracks. It's not about kissing and making out. It's not about holding you back from things. It is about living God's design for your own good when it actually matters. I've got a three-year-old son. He'll be four on May the 4th, little Star Wars baby. My son, Timothy, he's got cancer. And he's doing well right now. He's, we call him Timmy the Tank, a little brick house. Timmy's got cancer. I'm glad I married a stable woman because I need a stable woman. She's glad she married a Bible man, even though I wasn't a Bible man. The Lord saved me and I became a Bible man because now she needs a Bible man. When you don't have answers for the cancer except the sovereign hand of God, you're going, well, what does that even mean? When it's joy in the midst of trial, when you don't know the future, when I've got to one day sit with a young woman if his life is still charging forward and say, uh, my dear 
you might be my future daughter-in-law. It's now time to bring you into the inner circle and let you know that your future man, this son of mine that you love so greatly, has cancer. And the doctors say it's for life. And even if he does well, you still are stepping into a relationship with a young man who has cancer. And so welcome to the family if you desire that. I understand if you don't. I really need a, a future daughter-in-law. I need a spouse. I need a family who, who's not up there playing around at the line and wasting time. I need a daughter-in-law who's saying, Sir, I, I understand. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to be prudent. And I'm going to think on these things. And I'm going to trust the Lord and walk in the will of the Lord. Because life is not about right now. Life is about what's to come. Does that make sense? So there is pleasure. But we must be prudent. Another purpose of sex is in Genesis 1.28, God says to Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply. So procreation. Now this isn't a have to. The Lord doesn't open every womb. I have some dear friends that have been adopting because the Lord hasn't provided children for them. I know other friends and family who have just basically tried for many, many years and are getting to an age now where things just aren't working out. But overall, procreation is a part of sex. God made sure it would feel good because babies be crazy. When the diapers are full, when they're fighting over toys. You think if, if we could just bring all our kids up here right now. Johnny's is so cute still. She's like perfect. But as they get older, you realize that total depravity, like sin, original sin in them is a thing. Because you don't need to teach them to disobey. They just figure that out on their own. That's why we teach obedience. They come out sinful. They just can't manifest it yet. You give toddlers weapons, they'll take over the world. <laughs> Anarchy. So God made sure it would feel good and be enjoyable to procreate. Because if you knew what was coming, you never would do it. And he wants his world filled with generations living for his glory. It's also common grace for the unbeliever that God doesn't just smite them all. Of course not. He allows them to have families. Like you think, the Old Testament says the rain falls on both the righteous and the wicked. God's growing the crops for even the wicked, allowing procreation. It's a part of it. And third, to promote unity. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 to 5. Paul says, ladies, wives, your body does not belong to you, it belongs to your husband. And that was very normal in the culture at that time. And all the men were like, amen, her body belongs to me. Yep. The Greeks and the Romans were like that. They were very abusive to their women. Christianity comes along and Paul adds one thing to it. And husbands, your body does not belong to you, it belongs to your wife. And then he says something very interesting. He says, stop depriving one another, except for a time by agreement, so that the devil doesn't get a foothold in your life. What was he saying? He was saying, husbands and wives, you are going to be tired, moody, cranky. One of you is going to want it more than the other. 
One of you is going to say, your body belongs to me. Come on. And, or she's going to be like, your body belongs to me. Come on. And he's going to be like, I'm tired. I've been working all day. And she's like, well, I own you. Let's go. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 7, it's on. Or maybe it's the other way. And he's like, come on, girl. You mine. Paul said it. We submit to Scripture or not. And so God designed sex to be a point of unity so that we would not be tempted outside of our marriages. We give ourselves to one another. We don't force ourselves upon one another. It's not sex or or some forced coercion in anger or in abuse or objectifying one another. But in love, we lay ourselves down for one another. Did you know that Hollywood didn't even invent makeup sex? The Bible did. The idea that we would have conflict, we would resolve it, and then we would desire to be intimate together again as a married couple is from God. Unity in all things is another purpose of sex. In chapter 5, verse 1, we see the beautiful culmination. He says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh. There's the myrrh again, along with balsam. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And then there's this echo. Like, eat, friends, drink, imbibe deeply. Oh, lovers. It's like they're crying out. Oh, this is good. This was great. Oh, enjoy it. Why? Because it's time. Marriage is the place for that level of intimacy, the unity and the joy experienced when love is awakened in God's time. The result, the affirmation of unified love, that this is the way it should be done. There's no limit There's no scolding, no guilt, no shame, no burdens, no shadows, no back seats, no sneaking around, no lying, no deleting text messages, no swiping out the DMs and no deleting the apps. You don't have to hide anymore. You are walking in God's design. This is not Hollywood, adultery, college flings, or shameful secrets. It is all that God intended for you. Two people enjoying the beautiful intimacy that God has reserved. The question is, will you define sex and intimacy God's way or your way? Will you allow God to govern your relationship? For you married ones, will will you get honest with each other? Swallow pride. Lay it down and say, even in our marriage, we want to be humble enough to say, we need to go back to God's design on some of these things. If you will do that, you will watch God's blessings and grace pour out on your lives the way He intended. That's what I want for you. I know the people in your life that love you want it for you too. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we need your wisdom. James 1.5 says that if we ask for it, you will give it in abundance. And so please, pour it out. 
I pray for anyone here tonight who's wrestling through any aspect of the message. Maybe someone's here going, I, I, I need to look at my life and, and my standards and my boundaries, and I, I need a rewrite. Would you pour out grace on them and wisdom? Maybe one of the married couples here is thinking, wow, it really would have been nice to know this before. Would you pour out grace and wisdom upon their marriage? Reminding them that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and today could be the beginning of the rest of their lives in a bigger, better, more beautiful way. Uh, for my sisters in the room who have already gone past the boundaries, would you silence the voices of guilt and shame that come from the evil one, that whisper, you're not good enough, you'll never be enough, the tape isn't going to stick ever again. You've gone too far. You've done too much. That message is for the other people in the room. You are not who he's talking to. You're way past saving. Will you silence those demonic lies? Will you ignite the hearts of young men in this room to emulate not merely Solomon in his best moment here, but the Savior Christ? so that they would be a generation of men who look and sound like our Savior. Do that for them. And bless the preaching of your word ongoing through this weekend as we study this very important topic. In Jesus' name.